Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Eufaula, Oklahoma. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Peggy McGuire was a Thanksgiving baby. Being born on November 27, 1986 meant that she was a 90s girl at heart. She grew up in the small town of Eufaula, Oklahoma, which meant that you know everyone and everyone knows you. Because of that, Peggy was known for being an extrovert who never met a stranger and was never short on energy. Her mother, Betty, told McAllister News, when she would smile, you couldn't help but smile too. She was thoughtful and caring, a kind-hearted person. Peggy loved being outdoors, whether it was hunting, fishing, camping, or boating. The outdoors were her happy place, but her main passion was working on the farm. A friend told News on 6 that Peggy would bale hay, run the ranch, show livestock, and more. She was a one-woman powerhouse that could do it all. Her friend said Peggy was a really hard worker and everyone in the area thought the world of her. While Peggy was a sophomore in high school, she started dating a guy in her class named Thomas Ryan McIntosh. He loved the country life just as much as Peggy did, so they had an instant connection. However, that's where their similarities ended. Peggy's loved ones told True Crime Daily that other than that, the two were total opposites, noting that he was awkward, rude, and antisocial. They frankly didn't understand what she saw in him. Not long into their relationship, Thomas became abusive. Betty told True Crime Daily that he was extremely jealous, and that's an understatement. If he saw Peggy talking to another guy, he'd break out the windows of her car and smash in the doors. The abuse turned physical while the two were still in school. Peggy's best friend Elizabeth remembered one time where Peggy came back from lunch with a broken nose. Elizabeth asked what happened, and Peggy said that Thomas had gotten mad at her, that he'd taken out a pistol and started backhanding her with it. Elizabeth told True Crime Daily that she took Peggy to the ER. However, the publication was not able to obtain any medical records to prove that claim. Following the broken nose incident, Peggy and Thomas continued seeing each other. It's here that I want to encourage everyone to fight the urge to ask why she didn't just leave. We've mentioned it in previous episodes, but I'm gonna say it again, that domestic abuse is a systematic breakdown of a person's self-worth, and the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence is when they're leaving the relationship. It's never as simple as just leaving. Now that we've covered that, again, let's continue with Peggy's case. The abuse escalated and their relationship continued to spiral downhill into extremely dangerous territory. In April of 2006, just a few years after graduating high school, Peggy filed a protective order against Thomas. It's not totally clear what happened, but what we do know is that the order was granted at least for a while, but was later dismissed in the fall of 2006 after Thomas and 20-year-old Peggy got back together. Before she knew it, Peggy was pregnant, and in July of 2007, she gave birth to their son, a sweet baby boy named Ethan. By all accounts, Peggy was a dedicated mom who loved nothing more than spending time with her son. Peggy's brother told the Muskogee Phoenix she usually had her son with her. Doesn't matter if she was raking or baling hay, she had him on the tractor with her. She was a very loving mother. 
On Facebook, Peggy shared countless pictures of her and little Ethan doing everything together. Their bond was something that could not be measured or matched. As far as I can tell, Peggy didn't file any other charges against Thomas until 2013 when Ethan was six years old. In the winter of 2013, Thomas took a job in Indiana and Peggy and Ethan went to live with him. Peggy's loved ones told True Crime Daily that once they were in Indiana, the abuse escalated to a point it had never gotten to before. On December 18th, according to Bring Peggy Home, Thomas strangled Peggy in front of their son. Court records show that Thomas was arrested and charged with felony strangulation, felony domestic battery, and a misdemeanor for interference in the reporting of a crime. With that, a no-contact order was put in place. I want to take a moment here to talk about just how serious strangulation is. In almost every other type of domestic violence scenario, it can be difficult to tell how slash if an offender is going to escalate. Shelby County's chief domestic violence prosecutor, Greg Gilbert, told a Daily Memphian that you can't always see the tragic endings coming. Some previously violent offenders never escalate to murder, while some much less violent offenders go from pushing, shoving, and vandalism to murder. Gilbert said it's really hard to predict. The only exception to the it's difficult to tell how an offender is going to escalate rule is when an offender chokes a victim and they survive. Research by the Training Institute on Strangulation Prevention has found that once a perpetrator attempts to strangle a victim, they are 750% more likely to later kill them with a gun. Let that sink in. Not 100%, not 200%, 750%. So when it comes to an attempted murder via strangulation, it is a clear warning of what is a horrifying possibility. I'm not saying that's what happened to Peggy, but I think it's an important statistic to bring up. After the no-contact order was put in place, Peggy and Ethan moved out and back to Oklahoma. Peggy's best friend told True Crime Daily that when Peggy came home from Indiana, something clicked and she decided once and for all she wasn't going back to Thomas, this time for Ethan's safety. Unfortunately, as it often happens, Peggy did decide to drop the charges and let Thomas back into her life. She really wanted Ethan to grow up with a nuclear family with a mom and a dad both in the same home. So Peggy and Ethan moved in with Thomas, who was now living in Eufaula, Oklahoma, in the middle of Nowheresville. The house was on a desolate road in the middle of rolling farms, and the closest neighbor was a half a mile away. According to Peggy's loved ones, even though Peggy and Thomas were back in each other's lives, they were not back together. They may have been living in the same house, but their relationship was platonic. There was actually an agreement that they could both date other people. After some time, Peggy started coming up with a plan to leave for good. She knew she needed a stable career to support herself and Ethan without the help of Thomas, so she started taking classes to become an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. In June of 2015, Peggy passed her boards and she started working as an LPN at Wellington Hills Living and Rehabilitation. By the fall of 2015, Peggy was starting to dip her toe into the dating pool again. 
On the morning of November 16, 2015, Peggy finished up a double shift at the nursing home. Before leaving, she told her coworker and best friend Elizabeth that she was going to meet her boyfriend Richard after she dropped Ethan off at school. Richard was driving up from Texas and they were going to spend the rest of Monday and the first part of Tuesday together. Peggy explained that she would still pick Ethan up from school at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, though she didn't say who would pick him up that Monday. After Peggy left work, she picked up Ethan and they drove the 25 to 30 minutes it took to get to his school. She dropped him off at around 7.45 p.m. and this is the last confirmed sighting of Peggy. Initial media reports stated that Peggy had someone in the vehicle with her during drop-off, but per the Facebook group Bring Peggy Home, this information has quote-unquote been dismissed and hasn't been discussed in follow-up reports. After dropping Ethan off, Peggy started driving back to Eufaula. At around 8.15 a.m., Peggy spoke to her stepfather, Donnie, on the phone. They talked about a new deck for the house, and Peggy told him that she was on her way home. She said she'd call him back after taking some measurements, but Peggy never called Donnie back. At around 10 a.m., Peggy spoke to Richard on the phone. She told him that she was at home making beef jerky. During the conversation, Richard said he couldn't make it to Oklahoma to meet her that day. Then he got another call, so he told Peggy he needed to answer and that he'd call her right back. But when Richard did call back, Peggy's phone went straight to voicemail. He never heard from her again. Peggy didn't answer any texts for the rest of the day, and all her calls went to voicemail. The same thing happened the following day, Tuesday, November 17th. Peggy didn't answer her mom or her best friend, Elizabeth, and Peggy wasn't the type of person to ignore texts or turn off her phone, so panic was starting to set in. That afternoon, Elizabeth went to Peggy's house to see if she was there. Not only did she not find Peggy, but her truck wasn't at the house either, nor were any of her personal items. It was like she'd packed up and left with absolutely no warning. Elizabeth tracked down Richard's number and called him, thinking maybe Peggy was with him, but she wasn't. Richard explained that he had to cancel their date last minute. He said he hadn't heard from Peggy since around 10 a.m. the day before. The next thing Elizabeth did was go to Ethan's school, thinking Peggy would show up to pick him up at around 3 p.m., but she didn't. Instead, Thomas showed up to get Ethan, which seems strange to Elizabeth since Peggy specifically said that she was going to get Ethan that day. With every red flag waving its ass in the air, Elizabeth called Peggy's mom, Betty, and told her everything. Betty immediately knew that something was wrong because Peggy would never leave Ethan behind. He was her entire world, and there was no way in hell that she would just abandon him. Betty contacted the police and officially filed a missing persons report. According to Peggy's family, the police were not immediately helpful, so the family had to start searching on their own. Within hours, Peggy's brother found her Toyota truck parked in the lot of a rural bar called T&J's Ice House. The bar was located along Highway 9, around a 20-minute drive from Peggy's home. The location didn't make much sense since Peggy didn't drink and she wasn't known to frequent that bar at all. Police were called and while reviewing surveillance footage, they saw that at around 5.30 a.m. that morning, Tuesday morning, Peggy's truck could be seen driving north before it pulled into the bar parking lot and parked. 
It was raining at the time, so the image was blurry, but a person could be seen exiting the vehicle and walking away. A woman who lives near the bar later told KTVU that she was leaving for work right after the truck was parked. As she drove by, she saw a man walking along the road. When the man noticed her, he ducked into some woods nearby. An OSBI agent told True Crime Daily that they know the driver is a suspicious male with no discernible characteristics. The agent noted that the bar is not far from a relative of Thomas's, which was a significant detail in her opinion. As of this recording, though, the driver has never been officially identified. Naturally, investigators searched Peggy's truck. The Muskogee Phoenix reported that the truck led to zero leads as to her whereabouts or condition. However, evidence was sent off for testing. While investigators were still at the bar, Thomas showed up saying that he'd heard Peggy's truck was found there. Investigators interviewed him, and he said the last time he saw Peggy was before she took Ethan to school on Monday the 16th. He offered up his own theory as to where she was, suggesting Peggy had run away. A bold claim considering Peggy's family had already told investigators it was impossible that she would never leave her son. True Crime Daily reports that little Ethan later told a family member that prior to Peggy's truck being located, Thomas drove him by the bar to show it to him. That Thomas apparently told Ethan that his mom ran off with another guy and this is where she left her vehicle. Despite finding Peggy's truck abandoned and the domestic violence history with Thomas, investigators didn't take Peggy's disappearance seriously for weeks. They didn't search for her, they didn't hold any formal interviews, they didn't even search her house. They basically did jack shit. Peggy's best friend Elizabeth offered a possible explanation for why this happened. She told True Crime Daily that Thomas McIntosh has the same last name as the county all of this took place in. The McIntosh family is very well known in the area, which, if biased and irresponsible, could make it difficult for them to properly do their jobs. Without the help of authorities, Peggy's family was left to do everything on their own. They put up flyers, started a Facebook group, and led their own searches with loved ones and anyone who was willing to volunteer. Family members from as far as California traveled to Oklahoma to help. They searched in areas surrounding Peggy's house where they thought someone might be able to hide Peggy or her body. Peggy's co-workers at Wellington Hills held a bake sale, which raised more than $2,000 to fund the search effort. One co-worker told KJRH, We are all friends. We all hang out together. Peggy was kind of special. The residents loved her. They even have her flyers hanging on their doors. The owners of Wellington Hills offered a $15,000 reward for information. Two weeks after Peggy disappeared, local authorities finally started taking Peggy's disappearance seriously. They requested the help of the OSBI and got to work investigating. One OSBI agent told True Crime Daily that once she reviewed the surveillance footage of a man dropping Peggy's truck off, she knew foul play was involved. Agents interviewed Thomas, who reiterated his story that the last time he saw Peggy was when she took Ethan to school on the morning of November 16th. Agents also spoke to Peggy's boyfriend, Richard. He explained that at around 10 a.m. on November 16th, he spoke to Peggy on the phone. She said she was at home making beef jerky. While on the phone, Richard got another call and he said he would call her back. When he did, her phone went straight to voicemail and he never heard from her again. 
Investigators obtained phone records for both Peggy and Thomas. It was found that at around 10 a.m. on the 16th, both of their phones pinged in the area of their house. Investigators can't pinpoint them as both being inside the house, but they do know for sure that they were in close proximity. Investigators also found out that Peggy's phone was turned off just after 10 a.m. on the 16th. It was never turned back on again. Investigators spoke with a neighbor who said that shortly before noon on November 16th, they saw Thomas driving fast down the road in a tractor with the front end bucket way up in the air. The neighbor thought that was odd since Thomas usually drove with the bucket down low. Peggy's family told True Crime Daily that they believe Peggy's body was in the bucket at that time. On December 8th, more than three weeks after Peggy went missing, the OSBI and other agencies started searching through Peggy and Thomas's home, as well as the 80 acres surrounding it. Their searches lasted through the month of March. Toward the beginning of the search, Peggy's stepfather, Donnie, told KJRH, We don't know what to expect. It's been so long, a lot of things go through your head. Peggy was a dedicated mother who would never leave her young son. Donnie said the family was happy investigators were finally looking into her disappearance. During the search, investigators brought in a helicopter and drones to search from the sky. On the ground, they had search dogs and forensic anthropologists, but they didn't find her anywhere. Bring Peggy Home reports that there were no signs of a break-in at the home, and there was only one thing missing. A gun. It's unclear who that gun belongs to. Peggy's family told True Crime Daily that the house had been thoroughly cleaned by the time investigators showed up. However, they were still able to find a few things of note. Records show investigators took swabs of blood-like stains from a couch cushion on the back porch and swabs of blood-like stains from the front bucket of the tractor. Inside Thomas's truck, they found a leather glove with red stains. All of those stains were tested, but the results were inconclusive. The lab couldn't tell if the stains were blood since they had been corroded too much due to time, weather, and wear. It makes you wonder if investigators had searched sooner, would the samples have been more useful? After months of searching, there wasn't enough evidence for authorities to bring charges against anyone, though they did keep digging. Meanwhile, Ethan continued living with his father. Fox 23 reported that Thomas did not allow Peggy's mother to see nor speak to Ethan following Peggy's disappearance. In a sense, Betty was not only mourning the disappearance of her daughter, but now had to mourn the inability to continue a relationship with the closest thing there was to her. Before 2015 was over, Thomas and Ethan moved out of McIntosh County and in with Thomas's mother in Bixby, Oklahoma. That looks like it's about an hour or so north of where they were living before. In January of 2016, Thomas filed for sole custody of Ethan, stating that Peggy had abandoned him. Thomas asked that Peggy be ordered to pay child support, medical expenses, child care expenses, etc., and that Betty not be allowed to see her grandson due to comments she had made previously. In return, Betty filed her own lawsuit against Thomas, stating that Peggy didn't abandon her son, that it was likely she was dead. Betty was worried that Ethan would suffer physical and emotional abuse at the hands of his father. Betty stated that Thomas had a history of violent behavior and domestic abuse, which she could provide evidence of. In February of 2016, Thomas sued Betty in a whole different case 
claiming she stole four calves from him on July 7th of 2015. He said she then sold the calves and kept the money. Betty denied the allegations, stating they were made for no other purpose but to attempt to defame and damage her reputation. Her whole daughter was missing, Thomas was keeping her grandson from her, and in the meantime, he was suing her for cows she'd somehow stolen and sold seven months prior, four months before Peggy ever went missing. Adding on to what Betty was saying earlier, she stated that Thomas knew about the true facts and circumstances around the four calves, but had only now decided to file false and fraudulent accusations against her because of the sudden and suspicious disappearance of the true owner of the cattle, a.k.a. Peggy. In March of 2016, the court ordered a guardian ad litem be appointed and Ethan was removed by the Department of Human Services. A guardian ad litem is an attorney appointed by the court to assist in determining the circumstances surrounding a situation being presented. Nine months later, in December of 2016, Thomas withdrew his petition for full custody of Ethan, as well as the lawsuit against Betty for stealing the cows. The cow lawsuit was dismissed, but the custody issue was not. As of November 2018, Ethan was still being represented by a guardian and Thomas was still keeping Ethan away from Betty. That is the last entry there is for this case online. However, the case does not appear to be closed. It's unclear who has custody of Ethan at this point. The next update in Peggy's case came on February 22nd of 2021 when Ethan, who was now 13 years old, went missing from Eufaula. Again, it's unclear who he was living with at the time. Ethan was last seen at around 4.45 p.m. that day, driving a tractor while out feeding the cows. When he didn't come home, search parties with dogs, drones, and even a helicopter were sent out to find him. They found the tractor, but it was abandoned, and Ethan was nowhere to be found. As you can imagine, people were in a complete frenzy over the fact that Peggy's son had gone missing from the same area that she had gone missing from more than five years earlier. Muscogee Creek Nation Press Secretary Jason Salzman told the media, It's a terrible situation. It makes it that much worse that it's Peggy McGuire's son, and it makes it just weird. So we're gutted, just like everybody else, and we want to find him as fast as possible and pray that he's safe and good. Thankfully, in the afternoon hours of February 23rd, a little more than 24 hours after he was last seen, Ethan was located by searchers in the Texana Road area, which is almost 20 miles away. He was wet and cold from walking all night, but was otherwise in good health. He was taken to the hospital where he was treated for dehydration and released. That's pretty much where the details about Ethan's disappearance stop. It's unclear what happened at all. All we know is that KJRH reported, authorities said they are not investigating the case as a runaway or kidnapping situation. If not either of those, what is it? There hasn't been much movement in Peggy's case since investigators searched the property in cars. 
The OSBI told True Crime Daily that Peggy's case is technically a suspicious missing person. However, they do not believe she's alive. They also don't believe that whatever happened to her was a random act of violence. With that being said, no one, including Thomas, has ever been named a suspect in Peggy's disappearance. The OSBI says that everyone is a person of interest until Peggy is located. Thomas's attorney told True Crime Daily that there is no evidence Peggy was harmed or murdered, and there is no way to identify the driver of Peggy's truck as the video is too grainy. The attorney added that Thomas helped search for Peggy and said that he has always been cooperative with authorities. The attorney explained away all of the circumstantial evidence against Thomas. He said that Peggy and Thomas were in a relationship on November 16, 2015. Peggy was often gone on periodic occasions, which made Thomas think Peggy was cheating on him. But Thomas didn't break up with Peggy because he wanted to stay together for their son. This feels so gross. The attorney said that there was no evidence that Thomas was an abusive partner, that it was a nice narrative for the family to throw out there. However, the facts don't corroborate their narrative. Any word about Thomas being an abusive partner was just small town legends. Plus, Thomas was never convicted of any crimes. Peggy always dropped the charges. And I absolutely fucking cannot with this at all. This is so offensive and the kind of rhetoric that perpetuates the shame that comes along with being a domestic abuse victim, period. The attorney said that the neighbor's story about seeing Thomas drive the tractor with a bucket up is inaccurate. That Thomas had been driving the tractor on November 15th, not the 16th and he had the bucket all the way up because he was moving hay for the upcoming rain. The attorney explained that Thomas's phone could have pinged in the same area as Peggy's on November 16th because he was at his grandma's house, which was nearby. And finally, the attorney said no one was able to corroborate Ethan's story about Thomas driving him by the bar prior to the truck being found. The attorney said that Ethan never told anyone else besides the one family member about that story. Peggy's family has been very clear that they believe Thomas is responsible for Peggy's disappearance. They told True Crime Daily that he probably murdered her because she was going to leave him and she was seeing someone else. That Thomas didn't want another man to be around Ethan. Even though they know in their hearts that Peggy is gone, they still want to find her remains so they can lay her to rest. Sometimes it's hard for Peggy's mother, Betty, to not give up. It has been seven years now and they still don't have any answers. On November 27, 2022, Peggy should have turned 36. Betty told News on 6, It's just hard. You don't know what's going to happen next. Just waiting. We hope someday Peggy will have justice. Peggy's family wants people to remember the impact she made on others and the kind of person she was. An outgoing, bubbly country girl with an incredible smile and a big heart. They want everyone to remember that Peggy was an extremely dedicated mother and that she would never, in a million years, leave Ethan behind. He was her entire world, her reason for breathing. You can help Peggy and her family by sharing Peggy's story and joining the Facebook group Bring Peggy Home. If you have any information, please call the OSBI at 580-298-5525. There is a $150,000 reward available. 
Peggy is 5 foot 10, 150 to 160 pounds, with shoulder length, curly blonde hair, and blue eyes. She is Caucasian and American Indian. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can call the Nationwide Domestic Violence Hotline. That's 1-800-799-7233. You can chat at thehotline.org or you can text START to 88788. All three of those are 24-7 free and confidential, and there are countless other resources on the Domestic Violence Hotline website. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Peggy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media. All cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.